we are particularly talking about history through the eyes of a Christian believer. You mentioned Dark Age Man, which I believe is one of the new Marvel episodes that are coming out. Are you serious? No. Homo Homoousius. In unison. Homoousius. That's the reason that I teach this, is I feel like we all should be aware of history because it informs the way we approach every day. This is History Through the Eyes of Faith podcast with Angie Ferris. I'm your host, Frank Rains Jr., along with producer Wes. Make sure you check the link in our bio for our Ko-fi page. This is a great place to support the podcast, get more information and reference material, ask questions, make comments, and even chat with us. We're glad you're here. Hey, it's Frank. If you got slaw, put it on it. If you got slaw, put it on it. It's History Through the Eyes of Faith. Producer Wes is here. And Angie Ferris is here because we always, we always, yeah, see. All right, I'm going to keep that in. That's not the official intro, but we're going to keep playing it. And okay. we're not going to edit it out. I mean, we're going to act like we're editing it out, but this, because this is the filler. Hey, it's Frank. It's History of the Eyes of Faith. Glad you found us. Guess what? You wouldn't be hearing us if it wasn't for Producer Wes. And there wouldn't be any content if there wasn't for Angie Ferris. And they're both here. So strap in. Buckle up, hit the treadmill, put the headphones in, connect the Bluetooth, whatever you're doing, it's Hitcher you Through the Eyes of Faith, episode 90-something. I don't even know what it is anymore. Two? 90, 92? Two. 92. 92. And uh, yeah, because 91 was really good. I bet everybody loved it. If you, haven't, if you haven't listened to the podcast, go ahead and catch the first 91 episodes real quick. <laughs> And then jump right in here. Yeah, jump in anytime. I'm curious, like, I wonder what people are usually doing when they listen to this. Like, I know folks that'll say, oh, I'll listen to it when I'm driving. Do you know people that listen to it when they're working out? I know somebody that listens to it when they're working in the yard. Um, Didn't someone say they listen to it when they were going to sleep? Yes, somebody told me that, too. <laughs> yeah. I can listen to a podcast when I'm going to sleep because then I wake up and I go, What did they say? I don't even know where I was. Yeah. Yep, I couldn't do it either, but some people do. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. how I, I listen to podcasts when I'm driving. Me too. Or if I'm on a treadmill. I'm driving or in the house, like if I've got to do housework, some kind of house. I can't. Like doing laundry or whatever. I pop it in my ears. And I'm too much of an active listener. I can't, like, clean something and... Really? I, I don't think I can. No, I, my brain is going to be going on something anyway, so I'd rather be listening to somebody else tell a story, learning something, rather than just thinking about all kind of things. Hmm. So, Well, whatever y'all are doing, let us know. Send yeah. us a message. Let us know what you're doing right now. Pop us yeah. a note. Call in. Is there a call? No callers are there. <laughs> no Lines are open. Are oh, yeah. Yeah, and also got, uh, it's uh, Angie F at onethingonly.org want to shoot us an email that's the easy you can always leave a comment on the website go to Kofi, buy us a cold brew leave a comment but direct line angf at one thing only.org we're also in the process of planning episode 100 so if you've got some hmm. questions favorite moments from the podcast something like an idea for what you'd like us to do doesn't mean we will send that out to us on but episode 100 yeah but you should do it soon because we're a, you know 
by the time you hear it, hear this, we're not going to be very far from recording that. From recording 100. Yeah. Um, so I've been listening, I, like I said, listen to podcasts. And what I've noticed, and I don't know if every podcast is like this, but the podcasts that I listen to, which are comedic podcasts or true crime. So I don't know if true crime would apply. My comedic podcasts I listen to, and maybe, I don't, I don't know, maybe I should listen to more history podcasts, but there's always a little bit of filler up front to kind of like, you know, get, kept, get caught up as hosts, you know, tell, you know, anecdotes, kind of what's going on in the world and, or in your life, and then get into the, the, the content yeah. that is that's the reason you're listening. Yeah. It's hard to find that balance, and, I think. But I, but I hear, that's what, that's what the ones I listen to do. Um, so I'm okay with it. I like the beginning to kind of like, hey, we're friends. How you been? Come on in, have a seat. What's going on? Before you start saying, and then after Richard the Lionhearted, thank you for joining. Yeah, and we you last know what? met Richard the That's, Lionhearted. And a lot of that has to do with being from the South. Do you know that? If you're doing business with people aren't from the South, a lot of times they like for you to cut straight to the chase. Like, why'd you call me? What do you need? What do we need to get done? Let's check it off. But if you're doing business in the South, you better ask how the kids and the family are, what happened to you yesterday, what's going on, because that's expected that you're going to kind of get caught up with each other. That's a good point and one that I don't like. You know? Because I think you're right, but I think it's better to build a relationship <laughs> yeah, than just get right to the point. could be because we're biased. You know, people's time's valuable. And I'm listening to this podcast because I want to hear the history. So when are y'all getting to the history? So well, y'all need to relax. <laughs> um, I got a story I want to tell you. Okay, so we're—I mean—we're just going to be. But it's a it segue. Up. The story is a segue into the something in the podcast. Yeah, and let me just tell say this right now: Frank has no idea what we're talking about tonight. Today, whatever time this is, you're listening. Well, to I might it. have an idea because well, I went back and listened to ninety-one. Right, but I have not told you what we're doing, what where we're going from ninety one. No, unless you gave me hints in ninety one. Yeah, I don't, I don't think we about said. some people. Oh yeah, we they're coming up, but we didn't say when. So, okay, yeah. all right. Well, I have a friend, and I'm going to say his name. You'll know him if you listen. You might if you know me. You listen. You know his name is Paul. You know who I'm talking about. Yes. Paul was recently in Paris. Was so, this was this after he had a surgery or before? Oh, you know about the surgery? You told it in one of the podcasts that I just listened to. I did? Yeah. Okay, well, I was going to tell it again. Well, see, well, there you go. But now I can segue quicker. Yeah. I don't have to give that part. Yeah. Did he um, get his 20% off coupon? Or? He did. I and mean, then he got a cane <laughs> with a little eagle handle. Cool. So I saw him a few nights ago, a couple nights ago. And uh, he told a story about uh, being in Paris recently and um, and that he was surprised to learn. And what he told me was that only 8% of the French people are Christians. That's true. Well, based on my true. research, it's not true. But it is a low percentage. Well, maybe it's only 8% go to church. Well, maybe might, that's it. There might be more than 8% that would mark Christian when you have the boxes to choose. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. But actually attend church is very low 
or used to be. I haven't checked in a while. Well, that's what he was surprised to learn, and that that he they met some Christians there that were became friends with his daughter, and they just wanted to soak up talking to them because they were also Christians. The Parisians wanted to soak up talking to Paul. Yeah, yeah, the ones that were Christians because they yeah. didn't have people. And I was surprised by that statistic, so I did a little little search on it. And okay, all right, stop, stop. Oh my gosh, that's there Expedia the ad. All right, hold on. I know that we can hear that on the podcast, and it's okay. It's just a commercial. I'm going to talk over it. But this is my phone. Just turn your volume down. I, don't, I, don't, I can, but I can't get my screen right. No glasses. All right, here it is. This is a, a ticker that somebody put. It's on YouTube. It's a video. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, the top religion in France from 1900 and based on statistics to 2200. Like if you went through the last 122 years and you use those same statistics through 2200, it basically shows, you know, there's the Christian at the top. Mm-hmm. The next one's atheists. Then the third one is Muslim. Mm-hmm. And it, if you go through time, you get up to, I don't know, what is this? 2024, you see the atheists have almost caught up with the Christians. Mm-hmm. But then you go to 2093. And that's if the if it continues. If it continues on the trend that it's on. Gosh, I wish we were going to be around to show that then it's not going to go like that. The atheists outnumber the Muslims, and the Muslims outnumber the Christians. Yeah. But I thought that tied into the podcast, what we talked about in history. It does, and it's really going to tie in toward the future, because that I would like to see the same graph for the 1900 years before that. I'll, I'll because message what I'll see if, what if they we're can going to be to talking about as we move through the next. I mean, I was thinking about this today. We're we're playing with around you know eleven hundred to twelve hundred, twelve hundred to thirteen hundred. That twelfth century is really where we're hanging a lot. There's a lot happening. That's we're only eight hundred years out from right now. Right, and we started in the BCs. I mean, and. We started with creation. Which is when you get into recorded history, though, we, we've been doing recorded history from like 2000 BC, 2500 BC, and now here we are just a few hundred years out. Now, it's going to take a while because there's a lot more happening and we have a lot more recorded, but it's going to be interesting. We're going to be able to explain that that you just showed us. Wes, would you mind messaging the people that have that YouTube and see if we could get the data? From ni- the 1900 years to from 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 zero to 1900, we could get that before the end of the episode. Be good. <laughs> um, but also, what you're saying is something else I thought about recently, and I don't know when this episode comes out. What's going on in the news? I know what's going on in the news right now. Um, always. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. Just. I don't know what to say anymore about what's going on in the world. But um, I'm going to. I had this idea maybe yesterday. Maybe it was this morning. It's been a long day. Mm-hmm. It's been up a while. About coming up with some sort of um, manifesto. 
I don't think that's the right word. Mm-hmm. What's the word when you like, this is kind of who I am? Yeah, I don't. To this point in my life, this is like what a story I think. about who you are no, or the, what you believe, what, what you I stand believe, for. What I stand for. Kind of like a vision, a purpose statement, a vision, a calling. A... Yeah, I think I'm going to put that on paper and I'm going to put it out there. Because I get so, I get frustrated with us and them and them and us and just the extremes on both sides of what's going on in the world. That's not what I was about to talk about, but that's just something that came to mind. What I was about to talk about was just things happening in the news that if you do a deeper dive, you read about what's happening with the U.S. dollar and in other countries, the devalue of the U.S. dollar and and just what's going on with relations with Russia and China and what's going on with the war. I, I don't know. I'm not, I don't follow that stuff. But when I hear little statements and little clips, it makes me start thinking, well, what's the bigger picture? You know, and we, this podcast is a lot about the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. But America is so young mm-hmm. compared to what we're talking about on the podcast. Yes. It's all, this so is the, making me really excited because this is what I hope listeners are getting. But you, I hope I hope it is seeping into them about perspective, about see, seeking out the backstory, about we are just a breath in a moment of time that is huge, and yeah. and and so don't get all worked up. It's not worth it. Well, I was thinking. I mean, this might work people up, and. I don't know how much, you'll probably shut me down when I say this kind of things, but I think about, you know, as an American, as a Western, in the culture in America and 21st century or whatever, you kind of get on that, we're America, the best country in the world, the most powerful country in the world, you know, we, we control the climate around the world, which may have been true at times, and it may still be. But it would be naive to think that that could cha- couldn't change. Exactly. You know, exactly. like and and if you believe those things are true, I think it's naive to not investigate why they're true, and how they became true. I mean, how uh, that happened. I mean, we could find ourselves with not a lot of control. I mean, you know, we could be very. If we have control. As individuals, well, I'm sorry, that's taking me down the, or as a nation, it's illusionary. Delusional? Delusional, yes. It's an illusion to think that we have control. Yeah. Um. Anyway, that's all these like deep Like I said, things. I mean, we go down that path. I just was putting it into perspective that our country is very young. And when you think about Russia or Germany or France or England or mm. the Middle Eastern countries mm-hmm. like but, Iran or Iraq or Pakistan or whatever. Um, yeah, but here's let me comment on that because it'll come up if it hasn't already. Our country, the United States of America, is older than all of those places you just named, than the governments of all of those places. All of those places' current government have come into power. Their current state of government since we've been around. That's an interesting point. Our nation is much older. Our government is much older. One of the oldest on the planet. Really? Yes. Older than the China? Well, 
Yes, because the communist China came into existence in the 20th century. So it'd be interesting to learn of democracies. Or even not democracies, just governments. Well, but of democracies, of current democracies, I'm pretty sure we were the first, but we'll get to that. Okay, well, I'm just wondering if... Because it was a big experiment. Interesting. All right. Yeah, it's it's just so fascinating. And I'll just say here, I'm I'm you know trying. I've told you all this before. Trying to think several steps ahead of where we are. Trying to see how it all ties together. And it's just becoming more and more fascinating all the time as we're moving into this, as we're getting more and more contemporary in our discussion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I had I, something else. I think, but I think I'm going to save it for. The next episode, because we've already been at this for a little while, and we'll get going on the content. Okay, and I'll say something before we get in the content. I was listening to the previous episodes, and I don't know, listener, multiple listeners, who's out there, whoever's out there. Um, I, as a host, actively listen to every episode because I'm actively involved, and because of that. I have learned things, and I have been able to create a timeline in my head where things fit. Now, I, we have been out of the Bible for a while. Yes. So I'm learning history in addition to what we studied in the, in the Old Testament, New Testament studied, what we learned in the Old Testament, New Testament, as far as chron- chronological. But I, I would... How can I think this is a helpful podcast? I think that if you stick with it, you will be able to frame it in a way that maybe you haven't before. That's all I'm saying. It's just a quick plug. That's exciting. And I'm listening because I'm I'm in it. So well, who, and I'm so grateful. But I'm wonder, but no, but I'm wondering if what the listener experiences because Yeah, I, let us know. I'm not listen you know you know what I mean. I had somebody tell me last night. Hey, do you have a podcast? Somebody told me about that. I didn't ask who, but there are people talking about it. The, so the last two people that have told me that they've listened to the podcast or asked me about the podcast heard about it from somebody else. Hmm. You know, so. So at least eight people. <laughs> there is There are, I think, well, I was just looking over stats today. So there's some, there's some of our episodes have gotten multiple hundreds of listens and, and our new episodes, it takes a while for them to build up listens. It's almost like an encyclopedia. Like, you know, some pages get more attention than other pages and whatever people draw an interest to. But anyway, they're out there, but we would love to hear. And particularly as we're planning this episode 100, I'd like some input from our listeners so give it a shot let us know yeah so where, are we, so where are we going in 90 92 well you kind of already hit the i i did mention it in the last episode but i didn't realize it until i was listening to the episode again and because honestly when we finished 91 i wasn't sure where we were going in 92 because there's we're in this period of history where there's all these personalities and events that need to be talked about. And so there's all these questions in my mind about what order we talk about them in. Because just like doing the Crusades, they took place over 200 years. But I don't think they make, to make as much sense if you just deal with them as you come to them on a timeline. And so now we're talking about 
some families. We're talking about some positions. We're talking about some countries. So it's like, how do you, so I wasn't real sure. I have this group of things that we need to cover to get out of the 11th and 12th centuries, but I wasn't real sure which one was actually going to come next. So in looking at all of that and making some decisions, we're going back to your friend Richard. Richard the Lionhearted. Yeah. He can be he can go by Richard the Lionheart or Richard the Lionhearted. And just as a quick reminder, how come we've talked about him before? Because he was a leader of one of the crusades. There you go. So he was um born in September of eleven fifty seven. But then catch this. If I can give away what day we're recording, what day is it today? What's the date? Today is April the 6th. He died on this date. In what year? 1199. 11. Let's moment of silence. <laughs> 1199. It's 12. 824 it's years ago. Is that what it is? Uh-huh. 824? Yeah. It's yep. not more than that? No, 1,200 to 2,000 is 800 years, okay. and we're in 2023. For some reason, I thought we were in 2423 <laughs> just yeah, then. It's so confusing. Okay, anyway, his father was Henry II of England, and his mother was Eleanor of Aquitaine. Okay, Aquitaine is another, and that is in France, I'm pretty sure. But Aquitaine was like a salve. I don't know. <laughs> no. It's everything's a salve with you. We're just all about the salves. Anyway, actually, that's the first time I've said that on this podcast. So anyway, go ahead. No, you're always saying I've got some in the cabinet. Well, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, like a medicine. It's the first time I chose okay. salve. Uh, all right. Let's see. Um, he was the Duke of Aquitaine because his mother was a Anne of Portiers, which is uh, another place in France, and King of England and Duke of Normandy, and Count of Anjou, also in France. So you remember how, so we know how the- Count of Anjou. And we know how (laughs) the British and the French, how did this connection come where the kings of England had all these relations in the French and France and had actually owned land in France? Do you remember how that came about? The Normandy Yeah, because William the Conqueror was a duke in Normandy, which was on the continent- and part of France, and then he becomes king of England, but he still has his property in. So they're going back and forth, and there's this whole relationship going on. And so now, this is not, this is 1157 when he was born. And what is so funny? I was, William, I was, William, I was telling you this could be a course, right? Did I say that on here? <laughs> yeah, no. Well, you told me before we started, I think. And so that, what made me smile was, is it too late to drop ad? <laughs> Like, <laughs> <laughs> because I'm like, man, I am not remembering. Okay, anyway, go ahead. So William was in 1066, and this is 1157, so it hasn't even been 100 years yet. Okay? So he was the third son of Henry II, and he was given the duchy of, duchy, the duchy of Aquitaine, his mother's inheritance, at age 11. And was enthroned as Duke of Poitiers in 1172. Y'all saying too many weird words. Which would have been when he was 15. So at 15, he's a Duke. 11, he was a Duke of an of another place. The place anyway, you're not going to say again. Yep. Richard possessed precocious political and military ability. He won fame for his knightly prowess and quickly. That's knightly with the K, y'all. Yeah. 
and quickly learned how to control the turbulent aristocracy of Poitou and Gascony. Poitou. Now, this is coming from, let me see, uh, Britannica.com, okay? And then I'm going to bring in another source a little bit later on, but a lot of this, okay? But catch this line. Like all of Henry II's legitimate sons, which implies he had illegitimate sons, but like all of his legitimate sons, he had little or no filial piety, didn't have much respect for the whole feudal system. He had little or no foresight or sense of responsibility. They were all a little, yeah. He joined his brothers in the Great Rebellion against their father in 73 and 74, so that's when he was 17, who invaded Aquitaine twice before Richard submitted and received pardon. Okay. So there's a lot of turbulence going on there. Now, the reason that we're talking about him is just because he is one of the many, of the several personalities that we're going to look at that give us a view of the p- political maneuverings that are common during the Middle Ages. Of all the stuff, that's, it's not because like Richard is so important or he changed history. He's a colorful figure in this time period. And it's a good story to kind of see how everybody's pulling and pushing and the nobility. He's a good example of the chaos. The, yeah, chaos might be a strong well, word. Well, he's yeah, a good example of the political yeah. um, process. Yeah, there... So, after this submission back to his father, Richard was occupied with suppressing baronial revolts in his own duchy. The barons are revolting. His harshness... How do you spell duchy? D-U-C-H-Y. Okay. And we're sure it's duchy? No, it could be ducky. It could be duchy? No, it's one... Okay. His harshness infuriated the Gascons, who revolted in 1183, and called in the help of the young King Henry and his brother Geoffrey of Brittany in an effort to drive Richard from his duchy altogether. So now his people are in, infuriated and they're calling in his brothers to help drive him out. Alarmed at the threatened disintegration of his empire, Henry II, the king, brought the feudal host of his continental lands to Richard's aid, but the younger Henry died suddenly and the uprising collapsed. So now his brother, his, his the next Henry, who was his older brother, died. Okay, so now Richard was now heir to England and to Normandy and Anjou, which were regarded as inseparable, Normandy and Anjou. And his father wished him to yield Aquitaine to his younger brother, John, because now he's the heir to all this other stuff, so give Aquitaine to John. But Richard, a true Southerner, would not surrender the duchy in which he had grown up and even appealed against Henry II to the young king of France, Philip II. Now, I was just looking at my awesome charts that I've been gifted with. Philip II was his first cousin. Okay. Richard's father's sister was married to Philip's father. So Richard's father's sister gets married off to the king of France. Okay. And so now the current king, or was he, yeah, the young king of France is his first cousin. I okay. bet it was because she had large tracts of land. <laughs> Wes cracking up back there. Um, <laughs> That's a Monty Python just, reference. Okay. Okay. And good I knew Wes you. would get it. All right. Yeah, he did. I heard this. We should have a whole episode sometime on the way that. The, the, what was the joke that Sarah had? 
about you got they all married their siblings off to others like the power did you remember that Mm-mm. she had a good joke when she was guest on the show that was a line about that anyway in november of 1188 richard did homage to philip for all the english holdings on french soil and in 1189 openly joined forces with philip to drive henry into sub- abject submission that's his father who's king of england that's who they're driving into submission they mm-hmm. chased him from Le Mans to Saumur, forced him to acknowledge Richard as his heir, and at last harried him to death on July the 6th, 1189. My birthday. There you go. So. 1189. So that makes him king of England. Because I, I so don't know what it means to Henry, harry. Henry so, died at 1189? Yeah, on July the 6th, 1189. I don't know what it means to harry somebody to death. Harried him. Well, they're just death. going slow. You got to get them to harry. <laughs> Harried. Okay. Exactly 780 years later. Did you have to, to do the, the day, math? To the day. 780 years later, I was born. He made on one. Well, I am harried. Harassed. Well, I don't let somebody harry yourself to death because he, he died from it. Okay. Well, I have got so much demands on me. I am harried. So, let's go on. Richard received Normandy on July 20th and the English throne on September 30th of that year, 1189. Richard, unlike Philip, had only one ambition, to lead the crusade prompted by Saladin's capture of Jerusalem in 1187. Which we talked about. So, more than being king, more than anything else, he wanted to go lead the crusade. He had no conception of planning for the future of the English monarchy and put up everything for sale to buy arms for the crusade. Okay, okay, Richard. So the king that's supposed to be looking after the land is selling everything to go buy arms for the crusade, yet he had not become king to preside over the dismemberment of the Angevin Empire. Okay. He broke with Philip and did not neglect Angevin defenses on the continent. So that's his holdings in France. Open war was averted only because Philip also took the Crusaders' cross. So it's interesting to me that they're cousins because it's not they're just like they're not just like guys. They're like back and forth. And so now he's like, well, I'm going to go Crusade too. So rather mm. than trying to break up all your land, I'm just going to go Crusade too. So Richard dipped deep into his father's treasure and sold sh- sheriffdoms and other offices. So he sold offices to get money. With all this, he raised a formidable fleet and an army. And in 1190, he departed for the Holy Land, traveling via Sicily. Now, where's Sicily? Italy. On the southern Southern tip. coast of and Italy. And that was also founded the by the country. Normans. Remember that? We, talked, we looked at that on the map? Mm-hmm. Okay. Sicily, at one point, was a Norman holding. Richard found the Sicilians hostile and took Messina by storm. To prevent the German Emperor Henry VI from ruling their country. Now, Henry... The sixth is the what we they're calling him the emperor because that's posi- that position that's the holy Roman emperor that Charlemagne was coronated into by the Pope, and then there was this break after Charlemagne, and then we come back with Otto. We talked about Otto, Otto being so it's really almost like the king of Germany, but because the Pope has crowned him emperor, there's this relationship with the papacy, and that's why he's called the holy Roman emperor okay but you will find as you're reading all these histories going from around this time forward up until the new world and into the new world 
that the king of France and the emperor of Germany and the king of England had got it going on all the time. And sometimes the Spain people are jumping in there, too. You mean they're they're at each other? For, they're either developing alliances or having wars or there's just something going on all the time. Um, so he's now landed in Sicily. And in order to prevent the German emperor, Henry VI, from ruling their country, the Sicilians had elected the native... Tancred, who had imprisoned the late king's wife, Joan of England, Richard's sister, and denied her possession of her dower. Richard's sister was Joan of England? Yeah, and and so they had a... Oh, man. So Tancred, the current dude that they have elected as their leader in Sicily... Was in order to keep the Germans from the emperor from being their leader, he Richard has a grudge with her because he had imprisoned his sister who was married to the previous king. By the Treaty of Messina, Richard obtained for Joan her release and her dower, acknowledged Tancred as king of Sicily, declared Arthur of Brittany, Richard's nephew, to be his own heir, and provided for Arthur to marry Tancred's daughter. Tancred. All of that going on. So now, but the key thing. That'd be thing, a great the key, a, episodic. You know, at least forever. 10 episodes. It, I'm sure there is. We should look that up. But the thing that catches my attention in there is he declared Arthur of Brittany to be his own heir, which means that Arthur of Brittany is going to be the heir to the throne of England, not his brother. So this treaty infuriated the Germans who were also taking part in this Third Crusade. So Richard Philip and the Germans are in the Crusade, and now the Germans are mad, and it incited Richard's brother John to treachery and rebellion. John is back in England, and he's incited to treachery and rebellion now that Richard's gone because he's made this other dude his, his nephew, his heir. Richard joined the other Crusaders at Acre on June the 8th, or Acre. It's spelled like we spell the word Acre, A-C-R-E. On June the 8th, 1191, having conquered Cyprus on his way there. And then while he was in Cyprus, he married a person named Ber- Berengaria of Navarre. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's what happens in Sicily while he's on his way to the Holy Land. So, Acre fell in July 1191, and on September 7th, Richard's brilliant victory at this other place put the Crusaders in possession of Joppa. Okay, so now in 1191, he's in possession of Java. Twice Richard led his forces to within a few miles of Jerusalem, but the recapture of the city, which constituted the chief aim of the Third Crusade, eluded him, which we've talked about before. There were fierce quarrels among the French, German, and English contingents. Richard insulted Leopold V, Duke of Austria, by tearing down his banner and quarreled with Philip II, who returned to France after the fall of Acre. After a year's unproductive skirmishing, Richard, in September of 1192, made a truce for three years with Saladin. Remember, that was the Muslim war- warrior mm-hmm. that permitted the Crusaders to hold Acre and a thin coastal strip and gave Christian pilgrims free access to the holy places. Okay. So we mentioned that before. That was his success in that he got a truce and got free access to the holy places, but he never was able to reconquer Jerusalem. So now... He's heading back home, okay? So Richard sailed home by way of the Adriatic because of French hostility. He wasn't going to go anywhere near France. And a storm drove his ship ashore near Venice, which is northern Italy, right? Because of the enmity of Duke Leopold, 
who was the German that was mad at him, right? Yep. He discussed of Austria. Okay. So now he's landed near Austria. Okay. And he's heading off across land. But because of the Duke being mad at him, he disguised himself, but he was discovered at Vienna in December of 1192 and imprisoned in the Duke's castle at Dernstein on the Danube. So this is the first picture that I sent you, Wes, if you want to throw it up. It's that one of a, a distant shot of a village and a lake and a castle. It's the first one I gave you. So what is one of the things that attracts me to this story is Sarah and I went to Vienna in uh, 2006, and we visited this town mm. and walked around the city. And so you can see up there at the top of the picture, the that's, the, that's the ruins of the castle, and then yeah. that's a view of the whole town. And then if you go the next picture, Wes, that's a close-up of the ruins of the castle. And y'all went there? Yes, we went to the city, and then Sarah hiked up to the castle with some other folks that were in our group. And so then the next picture is a picture of her up there that was taken. In, and you can see back. Look, isn't that cool? Okay. You want to comment on it since the people can't see it? It's great, guys. It's, it's definitely ruined. I'm singing right? that song because it looks like the sound of music because it's the hills of Vienna. And Austria and the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, it does. Musical. And we went to Salzburg on that trip, too, which is where The Sound of Music, most of it was filmed. Now, I do see that they have some power plugged Yeah, they in do. The Isn't that interesting? Some, but some And now, so and I was looking AC at... AC 220. So if you look at that, it, that was 17 years ago when we were there. I was looking into it today, wow. and now they have... Uh, 17 years ago. Yeah, it's hard to believe it. Then. Yeah. Now they have paths that have markings of the historical story that and the legends that go around Richard and all of that stuff. So they've they've uh, up the tourist level. So this is level part of, of where he was. Yeah, that is the castle that he was held in when he was captured in Austria. The ruins that are up there on the top of the hill is the castle he was held in. So I want to go there. Pretty cool, isn't it? What's the name of that town? Uh, Dernstein. The Castle of Dernstein. Dernstein Castle. Well, I guess that was the name of the town. In the 12th century. Today the ruin is a famous viewpoint. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And that, Wes, do that up close, do that up close one, that next one. Because I think in this next picture, you can see an arch. See that arch down there? Down below? Like Like where you walk up? Yeah. And I wonder if that's the one that Sarah was standing in when we had that picture made. Could be. Kind of interesting, huh? Okay. Yeah. So, he was captured by Leopold of Austria and held there. Now, you remember we talked about somewhere way back, but I think it was involved in the story of William the Conqueror, where he was held captive for ransom. That's the thing they would do. They would capture kings and dukes and barons when they were traveling out of the country to make money. Because mm-hmm. they make their country ransom them back, right? So, later he was handed over to Henry VI, who was the current German emperor. Leopold's in Austria. Henry VI is German. and they Yeah, but Henry VI was the one that Sicily was trying to keep out. Right. So, he was handed... or something? Yeah. So, he was handed over to him, who kept him at various different imperial castles. Under the threat of being handed over to Philip II, his cousin that he's feuding with, Richard agreed to the harsh terms imposed by Henry VI, which was a colossal ransom of 150,000 marks and the surrender of his kingdom to the emperor 
on the condition that he received it back as a fief. So he's going to give Henry the Hen, Henry the kingdom of England, but he'll get it back as being part of Henry's fiefdom. He'll take care of it, okay? Um, so the thing is that ransom of 150,000 marks is huge at that time, okay? The raising of the ransom money was one of the most remarkable fiscal measures of the 12th century and gives striking proof of the prosperity of England. The fact that they raised that kind of money they, to they get could actually back. get that. A very high proportion of the ransom was paid, and meanwhile, February of 1194, Richard was released. So, he returned at once to England and was crowned for the second time on April the 17th, fearing that the independence of his kingship had been compromised. Within a month, he went to Normandy. Now, why would he go to Normandy? His family's there. Well, because it's his responsibility, too. Yeah. That comes with the king. But he never came back from Normandy. His last five years were spent in warfare against Philip II, interspersed with occasional truces. The king left England in the capable hands of Hubert Walter, Justiciar and Archbishop of Canterbury. So the Archbishop of Canterbury is running the show as far as administratively while the king's gone. And his name was Hubert, Hubert Walter, and I think he shows up again future. It was Richard's impetuosity that brought him to his death at the early age of 41. The Vicomte of Limoges refused to hand over a hoard of gold unearthed by a local peasant. Vicomte. So that would be somebody under his fealty. Mm -hmm. Richard laid siege to his castle of Chalou and in an unlucky moment was wounded. He died in 1199. He was buried in the Abbey Church of Fonterval, where Henry II and Queen Eleanor are also buried, and his effigy is still preserved there. So you can visit that place and see this like a sarcophagus that's there of mm. Richard. This is what it looked like. Mm-hmm. Saw that picture. But you should look up uh, the, the word F-O-N-T-E-V-R-A-U-L-T. That's where he is. Fontreval. And I'll bet there'll be a picture of his. Oh, it's probably this. Yeah. There he is. Huh. Yep. So, Let's see here. That therefore, yeah. Who would play Richard the Lionheart? Are you ch are you checking that out? No, I'm just looking at his face. His face kind of looks like what somebody draws when they're trying to sketch a burglar. <laughs> like he kind of looked like this, and this is the sketch that they give to the police. Yeah. That's what he looks like. That could be because it was 800 and something That's years my ago, point. Too. That's my point. It's the best they got. He looked a little like this. <laughs> Just a little like that. Yeah, so that's Richard. Well, he got he got involved in a lot of things for only being it's 41. He's a very colorful character. But he, but he became like a, a ruler at age 11. Yeah, well, he inherited well, areas. I mean. yeah, yeah, he didn't. I don't. I didn't check the date. Like, what What was the year when he became king? I'm looking back. But he was 17 when he started doing all the fighting and stuff. He became king in 1189. And he was born in 1157. So he was 22, 30, 32. 32. That's a lot in nine, nine years. Nine years, a whole lot. Especially when it takes a while to get to places. <laughs> yeah. He was a busy guy. Very colorful guy. 
lot going. Yeah, and we're going to come back to talk about John, his and, brother. And remind us why we spent that time on him. Because he was colorful and because it also brought in several other characters just to see how all the machinations of what's going on during this period. And we're going to go to the next guy. Then, And I don't want to, I just want to introduce him here. We're not going to have time to cover everything. We've mentioned him before, but from Richard, we're moving to Pope Innocent the Third. I was going to tell you to pause so I could guess. Oh, I'm sorry. Pope Innocent. He's come up before. He has because, and here's the thing. He was the most significant Pope of the Middle Ages. So that's why he's entered into our story in the Crusades. Um, innocent. Innocent the Third. That word so must mean a lot of things. His, or- his original name was Lothar of Segni, S-E-G-N-I, however you say that. It's Italian. But in Italian, it's called Lotario de Segni. Lotario de Segni. It's probably Segni. Segni. Lotario de Segni. Yeah, that's it. I'd like to come to you. So I'm, I'm, get you to I'm, gonna, okay. I'm gonna want to talk that way. He's, I'm using two sources for this, and I'll tell you this again in the next episode. One's Britannica, and the other one is a Catholic source. I don't have the name right in front of it, but it comes from their Catholic Encyclo- Encyclopedia. Mm-hmm. So Britannica refers to him as Lothar until he becomes the Pope, but the Catholic Encyclopedia refers to him as Lotario. 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 You're good Lotario with that. Lotario the innocent. Good. He over here he, he's trying the, to tell me. Let's give some basic biographical information. He's the son of Trosimond, Count of Signy, and Clarissa de Scotti, the daughter of a noble Roman family. And so he's from Rome. He began his education in Rome. And after his early education in Rome, he traveled north in the late 1170s or 1180 to study in Paris the leading center of theological studies. And we'll come back to talk about the studying going on in Paris in a future episode. But everything intersects, and I think that that's kind of interesting there. Although little is known about his stay in Paris, what is known is suggestive. His teachers, Peter of Corbel and Peter the Chanter, were the most accomplished theologians in Europe. So they, he studied under two of the most accomplished theologians in Europe. Stephen Langton, whom Lothar as Pope Innocent, once he became Pope Innocent, later appointed as Archbishop of Canterbury, and he comes back into our story, and Robert of Corson, whom he later appointed as a papal legate, legate there we go, um, and raised to a cardinal, they were students with him at the University of Paris. Stephen Langdon and Robert of Courson. And they were blazing it up every day. In in Paris, Lothar <laughs> learned to use the Bible as a tool for understanding and solving problems. Hmm. Now that might seem not so strange to us as Protestants, but it's an important thing to it's not something that we've heard mentioned before. And a lot of that has to do with what's going on in Paris that we'll talk about later. But he learned to use the Bible as a tool for understanding and solving problems. His theological training shaped his thought and his language for the rest of his life and provided a foundation for his outlook and his policies. This is Innocent. Innocent the Third, Lothar or Lotorio. Lotorio. Yeah. Um, after Paris, he studied in Bologna, which was a university in Italy. And there he studied 
canon and civil law and wrote three theological tracts, and I'm going to give the English names of them, On the Misery of the Human Condition, On the Mysteries of the Mass, and On Four Types of Marriage. So the first, On the Misery of the Human Condition, was enormously popular in the Middle Ages, and the others demonstrate that he was a competent, if not gifted, theologian. And all three tracts demonstrate his ability to use the Bible to understand Christian institutions in creative and original ways. They also reveal that his experience in Paris shaped his worldview. Um, he probably entered clerical orders in Rome when he was a young boy. And after his studies in Paris, he was made a subdeacon by Pope Gregory VIII in late 1187. Pope Clement III elevated him to the office of Cardinal Deacon um, in December of 89 or January of 1190. He worked in the Papal Curia during the 1190s. With, that's like the folks around the Pope. But neither received important commissions nor held significant positions. Then, he, the current Pope at the time in 1198, Celestine III, died on January in the 8th. And before he had died, he had urged the College of Cardinals to elect Giovanni di Colonia as his successor. But Lotario de Conti was elected Pope at Rome on the very day that he died, which is, means it was a pretty clear election because it happened on the day. He accepted the, they call it the tiara, this is from the Catholic Encyclopedia, with reluctance and took the name of Innocent III. At the time of his ascension to the papacy, he was only 37 years of age. So they're at 37, never having, having any administrative experience, but proving to be a deep thinker, a smart person, and having been in Rome all of his life, except for when he was off studying, written some deep uh, theological things. He is elected pope and becomes the most influential pope of the Middle Ages. Now let me ask you this question, because we highlighted it a couple episodes ago, a few episodes ago, about how... Real, uh, piety and power. Mm -hmm. You have the Church of Piety and the Church of Power. Not official churches, y'all. Just no, the way to yeah. describe what's happening. So, and there were a lot of popes and and priests and friars and whatever that kind of did whatever they want. Those people are in different categories. The friars are more of the Church of piety because they came from those mendicant orders we discussed in the previous episode okay well let me the popes and the bishops and the people in power were claiming a lot of the authority and that's a lot of what we're going to say about innocent but not necessarily living a pious life exactly but and, you see it wasn't important to them to live a pious life might have been you know that's a good thing to just talk about right here at the end of this episode because you know this this author these two authors are making the point that innocent was using the bible to address issues and how did they put it uh understand christian institutions in a creative and original ways so he he had a desire it's being reported to be consistent with scripture Okay, mm -hmm. but you're also dealing with an institution that has all this power. So like the way the monks dealt with that is they say that if you're going to be pious, you have to leave that. You can't be in that. 
Well, I don't. I can see the point. And but yet here's innocent in it, trying to use the Bible to bring creative solutions to things that are going. And it's going to be really interesting to look at the things that he does, um, in that light, because that that it. Yeah. So that's I'm kind of, and you can correct me up here if I make this analogy, but I'm kind of <laughs> thinking about the presidency of the United States because that's what I can refer this to. It has nothing to do with anything in our current political climate of any person or, or any party. I'm just trying to say, hey, if it, if at some point in the past the president of the United States was a church leadership position, and then it became this. Now I'm the president. Oh, by the way, I am. I do practice this religion. But I'm the president. I kind of get the feeling that in the Middle Ages, the Pope was like, hey, I'm the Pope. Yeah, I'm Catholic. Yeah, I kind of do these things, but I'm the Pope. I think it comes to that more as the years go by. And I think that, well, when was Gregory? A few hundred years ago, 800, 900, something like, when was Gregory? Do you remember? I don't 700 something. I don't know. We talked about him as making a real effort to establish the strength of the papacy, but he was he was a monk. He came from the monks. He was very devout. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But that's that constant power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So, so that's as, what I'm getting. The, the change, I'm getting the feeling that the popes, yes, are like I just I'm just a pope, y'all. The, I, Don't come to I'm me just gonna with say the scripture this stuff. The papacy becomes very corrupt in the views of most people looking back in history. I don't know if that anybody would, even Catholics would argue that these years that we're going into don't become a really dark time for the but papacy. But who was the Pope that said, uh, Urban, what was that his name? We had Urban a couple episodes ago, yes. That was saying, hey, I've decided these are all the things that the Pope is in charge of. Yeah. That's, well, no, I, can, if I, I can do no wrong. Yeah. I can make no mistakes. And if I say it, you got to do it. Yep. Okay. Yeah, and and Innocent's going to add on to that. He's going to step it up a notch. He's going to step it up quite a few notches. <laughs> he ain't so innocent. <laughs> I don't know. See, it's like we have these glasses looking back, and we're like, and plus, Catholicism is not our tradition. So we don't have this inherent respect for the papacy like somebody raised in that tradition would. Okay? So I'm trying to bring respect to that. But I, I do think it goes back to power corrupts and absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. I think it, it you know, as you claim more and more power, mm-hmm. and then it brings up that question, like, what power should the church be claiming? Is this, and we haven't talked a whole lot about this, but it goes kind of all the way back to Augustine's City of God. Is it realistic to try to model a government to, for the government to government to be a Christian authority, I don't think it is to govern. Well, and and we sit here with very biased views, living in the United States of America after two hundred years. So, but that was something they're struggling with. Like, okay, because Rome comes together with Constantine, and now the church and the state are in power together. And Augustine literally thought the world was ending and Jesus was coming back when Rome was falling. Okay, because now what's going to happen? Um, and then Charlemagne's trying to institute kind of the same idea, and then the Leo goes and crowns, you know, Charlemagne Holy Roman Emperor, and now it's it's very interesting. And then what we're going to be moving into is how the fact that all of that happened, and that there became Christian 
nations, Christian empire, whatever you want to call it, Christendom became a thing. How that changed history or how that influenced history. So a lot, I mean, we've kind of touched on some. Anyway, it's getting good. It's getting good, We're going to watch Innocent step it up. So um, I don't see any any surprises in the studio today. Oh, just me. I'm the surprise. I came. I it's made it. a good it. surprise. Um, well, that was episode 92. Uh, I don't think I have anything to tie this up with a bow other than that I'm done with my Red Bull. Oh, dear. I might need another one. Oh, dear. I don't know, though. I'll have to sleep at some point. Got well, how many Muppets died to get those shoes you got on? Those are not Muppet shoes. They look like Oscar the Grouch shoes. Oh, do you think so? They're terry cloth. I love them. Well, they are nice, They're but they look like Oscar shoes. Uh, yeah, you just got Muppets in the head now from the deal. But anyway. Um, so, yeah. yeah, I won't tell the story. I, 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 I was awakened this morning. At, not really awakened. One of the first songs that I heard this morning in the waking moments was I think from a Muppet movie about am I a man or am I a Muppet? In your head? No, playing oh, in the house. Somebody was playing it, huh? Yeah. If, you, um, if you're a fan, you probably know that song. I didn't know it. But for some reason, it was playing this morning in my house. Am I a man or am I a Muppet? And if I'm a Muppet, I'm a Muppet of a man. If I'm a manly Muppet. And if I'm a man, I'm a Muppet of a man. Something like that. Wow. Yeah. Very interesting. All right. Maybe maybe producer Wes can fade out the podcast with that song right now, just randomly. See y'all soon. Bye. Bye. I don't know. Am I a man or am I a Muppet? Am I a Muppet? If I'm a Muppet, then I'm a very manly Muppet. Very manly Muppet. Am I a Muppet? Or am I a man? Am I a man? If I'm a man, that makes me a muppet of a man. A muppet of a man. This has been History Through the Eyes of Faith podcast. Please rate and review, subscribe or follow wherever you stream your podcasts. You may also contact us and comment at onethingonly.org. Just click on the History Through the Eyes of Faith podcast tab. You can also support this podcast by checking the link to our Kofi site in our bio. Thanks for listening.